Life is a canvas. Listen as Dr. Allison R. Tendler and her guests paint the stories of entrepreneurs, executives, and business leaders on her podcast, The Art of Seeing Clearly. Through insightful questions and thought-provoking conversation, Allison and her guests explore the essence of what it means to truly experience life, business, entrepreneurship, love, success, and even failure through a clearer lens. I'm your host, Dr. Allison R. Tendler, board-certified ophthalmologist, surgeon, owner, and CEO of Art Vision and Artisan Skin and Laser Center. I literally get to work every day to help people see better on the 2020 eye chart. But true clarity in life and in business often requires a slightly different kind of vision. I happen to have a passion for learning how other entrepreneurs and leaders find their clarity, and I want to share with you some of their secrets to success. Prior to beginning her role as the chief of staff in June of 2018, Erica Beck spent four years as the vice president of development for Lloyd Companies. During her tenure with the regional construction and property management company, she was responsible for development and execution of the company's corporate growth and business strategy, marketing, and public relations. During her time at Lloyd Companies, she was recognized by the Prairie Business Journal as one of the region's leading women in business. And in the spring of 2018, she was named as the inaugural winner of the Steve Metley Vision Award from Downtown Sioux Falls, Inc. Previous to her work in the private sector, she served eight years with the city of Sioux Falls as urban planner, senior planner, and economic development manager. During that time, she played a key role in the community's economic development and downtown revitalization efforts. Erica, welcome to the art of seeing clearly. It's wonderful to be able to sit face to face with a woman in our community who has been a leader, yet you're kind of behind the scenes of some of the other leaders as well. And I really look forward to diving in and hearing about your story and what makes Erica this amazing empower that she is for your life as well as that of our community, too. Thank you so much for having me. I very much appreciate being here and just the opportunity to finally meet and connect with you. Yeah. And I think I shared with you earlier before we got started, I love listening to your podcast. I just listened to one with Michelle Lavalli, and she's one of my favorite humans. So great. Thank you for providing people the space to to share their story. Well, we all have stories. Mm -hmm. And it's just sometimes important to be able to share a little bit and get to know the people behind the face Mm -hmm. or quote unquote, what you do. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There's always a lens to look through that makes us who we are. So tell us a little about yourself. Where are you from? Where did you grow up? Yeah, I'll I'll start with today who I am. I'm a mom, first and foremost, and a wife and a grandmother. So I have just an amazing opportunity right now to experience all these different realms of um, parenthood and, you know, this next stage of life, this next season of life, being a grandmother now to a little girl who just is about nine and a half months old. So wonderful. Congratulations. Yes. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. You're not old enough to be grandma. I I don't feel old enough to be a grandma, but that's okay. Um, Just means I should have more energy, right? And be able to do all the fun things with her and those types of good things. So I have three kids, 26, 20, and 13. And so they're all in just very different stages. Three different stages. Right. And now a nine and a half month old granddaughter. And so my husband and I stay very busy, focused on our nuclear family, you know, primarily and trying to make sure that we're investing all the time needed into them. And that takes up a large amount of our time outside of professional work life and so forth. 
but that's been that's just been such a fun adventure and I wouldn't trade it for the world. So where did you grow up? Like yeah. home, yeah. quote unquote. Yes. Always have lived in South Dakota. Okay. Grew up in a small town, small area called Cologne. Okay. You're familiar with where that's at. Cologne is about an hour just straight south of Chamberlain off the interstate. And I grew up even further south than that, about 11 miles straight south of Cologne on a farm just right on Highway 183. And so wide open spaces, you know, there were still periods of the area where just a couple of years ago anyway, where you'd turn off the oil onto the gravel and you'd still lose cell reception. So it's very desolate, but I love it from that perspective, just because you really get to check out when you're there and it just feels very tranquil in certain ways. So do you still get back? Not as often as I probably should, certainly, but definitely enjoy getting back when we do and just giving our kids some of the same experiences that we grew up with. My husband and I both grew up in the same area. We've dated since we were young. I was in eighth grade and asked him out as a freshman, you know, so ultimately we've been together for a while. Yeah. Yeah. And college experience? Yes. So I chased him. Chased him to SDSU in Brookings. And he's grateful. Yeah, he's very grateful for that. Of course, couldn't have imagined my world without him. And so we both went to school in Brookings at SDSU and just had a really great experience there. And in Brookings, just I would say overall as a community was just a really good time for, I think, us to be there. And and we had our oldest son, right, when we were in college. And so he had a great first, you know, several years of life growing up in Brookings. Wow. Wow. I want to know, what are some of the experiences that you had within that time in your early adulthood years that may have currently, you look back and you're like, that drove me, that that drove me to succeed, to be who I am today? Two experiences I think of, you know, first, first one that comes to mind, just speaking of Ethan, our oldest. Yes. You know, on day two of college, I found out I was expecting, I was going to be a mom. And so very much sudden. Yeah. Yes. Very much changed the trajectory of our college experience as a result of that. And I've told Ethan so many times, you know, I, I think oftentimes when you hear stories like that, you think of, you know, the pregnancy or the child as being a burden. And that is not the case in any way, shape or form. I'm so happy that God blessed us with him. And first and foremost, he was a great baby. He slept, he slept the whole night, like the second night we brought him home. He was just fantastic. And in addition to that, though, I mean, it really, I think, helped me focus as a 18-year-old person. It made That's me focus on who I wanted to be. College, yes. yes. But yes. I look back and you're like, I had to really... Yes. What did you start focusing on? Uh, I think... How did your focus switch? Right. I didn't want to fail as a parent. Did not want to fail as a parent for him specifically and as a wife, too. I mean, we we got married very early, you know, January of 1997. And so our whole life changed, you know, in that regard. And both my husband and I, you know, we had no intention of staying on the farm, you know, so to speak. And growing up in a rural area, we appreciated that environment, but we also knew that we wanted to leave and do other things. And so we also didn't want to fail in that regard either. And so it really made us focus in on who uh, we needed to be in order to succeed in that way. Do you feel that the challenges then also made you as a couple grow closer together is because sometimes those challenges are going to make you go apart or they're going to make you come together. What were some of the circumstances or experiences that you might have had that were challenging at that young age? Oh, gosh, so many. (laughs) Yes. 
So many, you know, I mean, we really, when we got married, we had nothing, you know, and I recently shared this on social media, this post, I found green stamps, if you know what those are, you know, in rural South Dakota, anyway, you used to be able to go to a, a grocery store and you'd receive green stamps based upon the amount of groceries you bought. And so the story around it is, you know, we had nothing when we got married and ultimately we were expecting this child. And I mean, we really just did not have the financial means of even buying the typical, you know, nursery items, including a crib. And so thankfully, we were fortunate enough to have family members, my grandma, my husband's mom, my mom, that all chipped in all of their green stamps. And I truly remember like vividly sitting at my grandma's table and we were counting these green stamps out and applying them to the sheet and hoping that, you know, we had enough. And ultimately, that's how we bought his crib. And at the time, I mean, we were living in an apartment we had an air mattress that we were sleeping on. So we didn't even have like the the traditional, you know, furniture or anything of that regard. And so it just shaped, I think, our personalities in terms of, you know, understanding that we had to work hard mm-hmm. in order to continue to provide for ourselves and for this new child. And ultimately knowing that we also had to simultaneously work hard at school so that we could, you know, advance ourselves and continue to move forward down a path that was more financially stable. Mm-hmm. And so, all, I mean, I think all of that just, you know, coming together and helped us imagine a future that we wanted and one that we didn't want as well. Mm-hmm. I think this is important to know what you do want and what you don't want yes. in order to help help drive you. Yeah. Help drive you. Forward. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, financial, you know, challenges definitely evident the first several years that we were married. I mean, you know, we had Ethan right away. And then we waited probably about five or six years, I think. And our second son, Aiden, came along and they were just, you know, blessings, of course. But we were still wrapping up school, you know, trying to figure out career paths for ourselves. We had a move from Brookings to Watertown for my husband's work at the time that was really hard because we didn't know anyone. We didn't have any family in Watertown. And I had these two, you know, young children and my husband was working, like starting up a manufacturing plant from the ground up. With this is a lot. This right. Is You're, yes. Coming into college, you are married, having a child. Not only is college hard enough for most kids these days, but then you throw in all those and then you have all the financial responsibilities yeah. that are going with it. And it's not like, hey, mom, dad, can you put 500 bucks in my account? Yeah. How did those experiences truly shape you? Do you feel like you were a strong, like kind of empowered before you got to that situation, like, okay, we can handle this. Or I really want to know, are you glad you went through it? I, I, I mean, for the for the children, right. yes. And for are you glad you went through it? I, I am. I, I think it taught us truly that we were we were able to find, you know, the real resilience needed deep down inside in order to move forward and proceed, you know, with life. I mean, it's not that we didn't have any additional challenges, right? It's not like our marriage just in general relationship-wise has even been, you know, unicorns and rainbows the whole 26 years. But I think in order to find those periods of or those seasons where you really feel just this deep connection with somebody, I'm I am happy that we did. At the time, I wish someone, including my future self, could have just pulled me aside and said, hey, it's going to be okay. But I do think deep down inside, we knew it would. I do think that we both realized that we loved each other. We loved each other. We love each other. And and we we wanted to make, you know, a family for ourselves that could break some of the relationship cycles, the negative relationship cycles that 
we had both experienced as kids. And so that's always been very important to us. And I think, you know, despite the challenges, we haven't mm-hmm. given up on each other. And I don't ever ima- imagine that happening. Like he's my best friend. Mm-hmm. I would, I, I couldn't imagine a world without him in that way. Well, that's a testament to both of you and uh, your your fortitude for persevering. And uh, how do you feel like those experiences might have helped set you up for success? They were hard. How did they set you up for success? Great question. You know, I don't know that we've ever looked at ourselves as successful until I would say we had our 25th wedding anniversary. <laughs> so just recently. Just recently, yep. So we've been married 26 years now, but uh, and I wouldn't necessarily define it as success. That's not technically the way I looked at it. But at the same time, you know, 25 years is a milestone just for so many different reasons, whether it's your 25th birthday or, you know, work anniversary yeah. or what have you. It's a quarter of a century. And the fact that, you know, we were we are in such a better place than where we started at 25 years, I think I am just so proud of that. I'm so proud that we've gotten to this point and that we feel so strongly about our future. And ultimately at 25 years, you know, just even looking at our kids and my daughter-in-law and knowing that we had a grandchild, you know, on the way, it was just such a, I think, opportunity for us to reflect on all of the things that, yes, we've had challenges on, but things that we've also been able to do right and feel confident about doing well with our own nuclear family. And that makes me probably more proud of myself and my husband, Ivan, than anything success-wise from a career perspective that we ever could have accomplished. What do you want your, I'm kind of going down the family route and children, what do you feel like you want your legacy to be for your children? Like, okay, mom's gone someday. This is what I want you to remember about me. Oh, great question. (laughs) Probably two specific things. I think I I would love for them to have confidence in understanding how loved they are. If they know how loved they are, not just by myself and my husband, Ivan, but also knowing that there is just such great value in who they are based upon the fact that God created them, I will have succeeded (laughs) as a parent. And ultimately, if that's who they are and how they feel about themselves, I think that they will have the confidence to move forward and understand that they can accomplish anything that they want to accomplish in life. And there is no limit on the potential that they have to go out and do, you know, good things. And for me personally, that's meant, you know, doing good things for other people, right? And recognizing and seeing other people and potentially the hurt that they're experiencing and trying to wrap our arms around them, whether individually or as a family, to, to try to help them. And I want the same thing for them because it's so fulfilling to be able to do that kind of you know personal work with people. And I think it's so easy to get wrapped up in what we do. You said that at the beginning of the podcast, as opposed to who we are. And for a long, long time, I was very much wrapped up in the what we do or what I did versus who I was, thinking that that's who I was. Yeah. Right. The the more success I found, the more projects I checked off a list that's where I had value. And it took me a long time to get to the point that I realized otherwise. And so I want for them the ability to know that now, not 20 years from now when I might be gone. How do you feel, if I'm going to take this into kind of the city, the community, Uh what would you like your legacy to be within that realm professionally? 
How'd you like the city to remember you? <laughs> I love that question. I've had such great mentors over the years who have really just shown me the way, I suppose, so to speak. And again, for a long time, especially when I first came to Sioux Falls and I had an opportunity to work at the city of Sioux Falls right away, I thought for sure that my value and my success and my legacy was going to be defined by the number of projects I accomplished or the number of you know developments I was able to help move forward. And it took me a while, ultimately, until one of my mentors passed away, unfortunately, to realize that it wasn't that about any deep, of that. Correct? Yes. wasn't about like- any of that. It was about all of the people, right, that you had the opportunity to invest in along the way, right? All of those people that are put on your path for a reason that you can invest in along the way and help them be part of the success of all of these different um, projects and initiatives that are happening. So, you know, I've been using this hashtag lately because it's just been resonating in my mind more and more. But, you know, building a family to last and building an organization to last and building a community to last. I just don't think that we can say that enough, how important that is to instill the right types of values and ultimately in the culture of any one of those three items that I just listed, that truly is legacy, right? Being able to set people up for an opportunity for them to be emboldened and use their courage and conviction to carry forward their own story on their own journey If I can do that and if I'm helping other people do that, then perfect. What do you think Steve saw in you way back when? (laughs) Oh, goodness. You know, I'm sure you had other mentors too, but I know that we're one of the first recipients of an award that was, you know, kind of honoring him and his vision for the city. So I know that you were close. A couple of things. He first had the opportunity to meet me along with um, several others in the planning office when I was an intern in 2001. So a long time ago now. And I think at the time, you know, I was definitely a hard worker. I knew I was going to have to work hard. I drove back and forth each day from Brookings for that internship and, you know, barely made enough to even pay for gas. And so it was a huge (laughs) investment on my part to be able to wrap my mind around doing this. But I fell in love with them as an office and the people that worked there, including Steve. And I think I think at least I would hope, just based upon the investment that he made in me, he knew that I wanted to carry forward this vision for this community and for the people in the community. When I first came to Sioux Falls for a full-time job in 2005 in the planning department, he had just retired and he came back so many Fridays and he would pick me up and we'd go, you know, get a cookie and he would drive around and he'd tell me how he got a specific deal done or the developer he had to speak with to have this land donated as a city park. And then we would, you know, ultimately get to stop and I'd get to meet somebody. And, My and mouth he was like dropping endorsing right me, right? He was opening this door for me to meet people and for him to be able to say, okay, you need to know Erica. She's going to help you with this moving forward. And so it was just an incredible blessing for me to be able, especially now, to look back on that and know that he did see enough in me at the time that he was willing to come back after retirement and make these investments in me. And had I had he not been willing to do that, I wouldn't I wouldn't have the knowledge and experience I needed ultimately to carry forward the work that I did in the planning office and then the work that I did outside of the city in the private sector, and ultimately now the role that I'm in as chief of staff would not have been possible without him and Jane Hannestad, who also worked in the planning department at the time, and so many others who have just invested a tremendous amount of time and energy into me. 
So the theme of mentorship is not taken lightly by you. Not at all. And, you know, I think part of that also stems from the perspective that, you know, Steve was a mentor, but it wasn't a traditional formal work relationship. You know, he came to my daughter's baby shower. You know, he came to my son's football games. And so it was a relationship that I needed at the time. It was more like a family member, it was. friends. Really. It was. It was incredible. And I, you know, growing up, I was in a dysfunctional home, right? Like many people are. But because of that, I just didn't have the relationships that I needed with parents or even aunts and uncles because I just didn't have those folks here mm-hmm. with me. And so he filled a void in that sense that I desperately needed filled at the time, along with, again, so, so many others. But you know, it's a mentorship for sure, but it's also just this relationship that I think people need. I've got this uh, quote that was just sent to me today and that almost Mm. fits your situation. So excuse me while I look at my phone, quote unquote, things get broken and sometimes they get repaired. And in most cases, you realize that no matter what gets damaged, life rearranges itself to compensate for your loss, Mm. sometimes wonderfully. Mm. I love that. It just kind of, You've all gone through some situations and they've been hard and they've been painful. Yet how life weaves its way around. Sometimes other people come in to compensate or or other things for things we thought we missed. Yeah. Or did miss. And I I was so fortunate. Right. So fortunate that these people were on my path and that I had the opportunity to get to know them and build relationships. and, And they've truly, you know, carried me through whether they knew it or not. I wouldn't say that I was always great in the moment of expressing my gratitude for them. And so I feel like I need to do that more and more now, especially after, you know, having lost Steve and a few other friends and so forth along the way. It's just, you know, it puts things into perspective for you. And you, at least for me or for me, I feel this need to share more of what I'm thinking now and how I'm feeling and making sure that I'm telling my story, which I haven't always Mm -hmm. been, you know, I haven't always felt confident about providing that story. That's or or a safe place. Yes. Like I could share this without some kind of judgment or this person thinking this or saying that. Right. What's made you change? Yeah. You know, what what made you just put it out there? I think for a long time I felt, well, had I accomplished enough to over all of this other baggage, right? Had I done well enough for myself from a societal perspective to be able to share this over here that I wasn't, that I was ashamed of and embarrassed by for a long time. And I've done a lot of work, been going to a great counselor who has helped me tremendously. And then also, I think just, you know, some of the work that I've been doing internally as well to try to heal from my parents' divorce, you know, the loss of a mentor, the loss of, quote unquote, my best friend to cancer, like some of those situations have forced me to do the work to heal. And now I feel more confident in being able to share that story and knowing that it's part of my story for sure. And it's actually helped propel me, you know, and drive me to be a force for good, you know, as opposed to creating this victimhood inside of me or, you know, holding me back in a way. And so I feel a lot of confidence in being able to share that. And even just recently, you know, sharing a couple of things more publicly, I have felt so empowered by just doing that 
it's kind of life-changing in a way. And so I'm very excited for what the future holds. I feel like I'm finally able to just leave that all behind me and move forward in a much more intentional and positive way than I have before. Wow. Where do you see the future going for you? Do you have like, this is something I want to achieve. This is where I want to head. And that's hard to say, but are there goals yet that you're like, hey, this is what I want to see happen? Uh, Another great question. I used to live by a five-year plan and coming into <laughs> coming into this chief of staff role, a very wise person sh- said to me, you really just need to set the five-year plan aside. I'm so glad to hear that. Yes. Because I always get asked, what's your three? What's your five? And I'm yeah. like, I can plan it as much as I think I can, but why put all the yeah. mental energy into it? Because it's going to change right. on me. For sure. I think, you know, well, a couple of things I've learned from that. You know, city planning and development, you've got I know. five and 10 years. Yes. And for that, I do. I'm I'm good. I, I can create a vision for this community any day of the week. But I think for myself, it was important for me, especially in this role, and just knowing the scope of work and ultimately not knowing the types of challenges that we were going to face, I really needed to be present in the moment and present in this role, but also present for my family and just present because of some of the stuff personally that I've had going on as well over the last five years. And so I'm I'm very happy that I did take the advice to put the five-year plan aside mm-hmm. and be as present as possible because it's helped me get through this time frame in a much more, I think, successful way than I would have before. But, you know, now that we're closer to the end of Mayor Ten Haken's term, which he will no longer uh, be mayor due to term limits in 2026, that impacts me as well. So I have to start shifting start and thinking about, about what is yes, what is my journey. And what I keep coming back to is I have this inherent desire to continue to want to ensure that I'm not only building a family to last, but an organization and a community to last as well, because the impact Mm -hmm. that that ultimately has on all of us in this entire region is just tremendous. And I've seen Mm -hmm. ultimately how that can shift and go the other way. And so I know that I want to be a part of that moving forward. I just don't know the um, specifics to that yet. So right now I'm focused on finishing well, whether it's quarter four of this year or, you know, the last 25% of Mayor Tenhagen's term, I want to make sure that we finish well and we continue to strengthen that legacy that, you know, ideally we've created, not just for the organization, but the community. And then we'll see what happens after that. Hey, man, I'm sure you wear so many hats as <laughs> chief of staff. I can't even imagine. So what's a typical day like for you? There is no typical day, which I do love. Like that is really it's great. about medicine too. You can yes. plan as much as you want. Right. Certain things happen. You never know what you're going to walk into necessarily on a daily basis. But that's also the beauty of the city. And my position specifically is I have the opportunity to get to work with all 12 of our departments, okay. which are essentially like their own small businesses. Oh, small businesses. Their own small businesses. So it's been fantastic in that sense. We have a, I mean, a phenomenal executive team and they all are responsible for leading their own scope of work and, you know, their own areas of expertise. But yet we have done so much work over the last five years to bring those folks together and really hone in on how they're a a group of a culture of a team versus individual. Right. To cast vision where we have buy-in and they all feel like they are part of the strategy on how to achieve the vision. 
And there's so much work that happens across departments to the degree that, you know, really other communities don't see. And so that is just tremendous. It provides me with a lot of tremendous satisfaction to know that we are operating in the the unique way that Sioux Falls does, right? Whether it's city government or the private sector, we have a partnering spirit and that's how we get things done here is because when we set our sights on achieving something that's compelling enough, it's bold, it may seem like it can't happen, we find a way to get it done because we all work together and we cross boundaries to do so. Speaking of all of these different segments of the industry, such as we've got nonprofit, we've got publicly traded, we've got family-owned companies, we've got the government. Like, how do we bring them together so seamlessly? Because that's kind of like a, a connector role in between all these different facets of now they each do have their own goals. Mm-hmm. How do you bring them together? And you've worked in all of them. Yep. Yep. No, I would not trade any of those experiences either. I think, you know, the trajectory that I was on or have been on thus far has set me up for being able to operate in this position to the best that I can today. And so I'm very happy that I had all those experiences. You know, the one thing I would say is the way I've perceived at least my presence or my work in those areas is I've always looked at it as service, right? I'm serving as the vice president of development. I'm serving as a leadership and development director at Raven, you know, trying to provide service within these different sectors of the- I think that's beautiful. Yeah, of the community. And I think ultimately that's what we're all trying to do, whether we realize it or not, is we're all trying to serve, whether it's our own organization or the community as a whole or what have you, and helping people see that and align to that is really important. You know, a great example of that is we have contractors and builders and developers and and so forth that want to work with the city to move forward projects. And oftentimes I think we as at the city can fall into this scenario where we don't understand that we're all in this together, right? We may perceive that someone's trying to do a project solely to make money. Well, yes, of course they are. They have to, it's right? Business. They have to feed their business. And so if we can rise above that and see that, hey, we're all on the same boat here. We're all working toward the same vision. And if we can see past the public sector versus private sector in order to do that, gosh, think of what we can accomplish, right? If the private sector understands our vision for the community and they find it so darn compelling that they want to help us achieve it, fantastic, let's go. And so that's one way that, especially given the experiences that I've had working private sector and public sector, I can bring those two worlds together and help them see different different points from different lenses. Yes. Yes. And it's so fulfilling to be able to do that. And our work's never done, right? We're constantly bringing people together and helping them achieve what's best for the community. What have you found from a leadership standpoint that might be similar or different between these different sections, nonprofit, mm. nonprofit, public, family owned. What's, what do you feel the basis of leadership mm. is? I'll give it my response from my perspective and, and how I lead. I tend to lead with a lot of care and empathy. Some people reference that as I'm mothering them. Okay. I like to look at it as I'm loving hard, right? Meaning that I'm going to have candid conversations, but in a caring and courageous way with you. And I think that's really important, no matter what sector we're in, that we lean in and we're willing to 
have caring conversations with people, whether it's, you know, specifically about work or maybe, you know, other things that are happening in their lives. But, you know, the folks that we're working with or that we're leading specifically should never feel as though we're just solely there to bully them or reprimand them, right? That's not the type of leadership that any of us want to endure. And I think if you approach it from the perspective that you're going to love somebody and you're going to love them hard, then ultimately that's the kind of result that you get. People know that you care about them. So that's super important to me. And then also, you know, I think just given the service aspect of what's important to me and making sure that I'm serving other people, humility is very important. And I think that's something that we all have the opportunity to work at is approaching things from a a position of humility. And oftentimes what that means is just being curious, right? Leaning into a conversation and being curious about the other person and their perspective, which helps draw them in and ultimately unites and aligns and gets us to the point of consensus on whatever issue it might be that we're working on. So it's not always easy to do, and I'm not always the best at it, but I try really hard and I'm going to continue to try. What have been some tools that you've used to help improve yourself in that? It's almost like a negotiation standpoint. You're, you're negotiating, but what are some tools or tricks that you've found helpful in some of those hard conversations? Yeah, you know, I have had the opportunity, given that I started at the city in planning, of working with a lot of different individuals across the years. And oftentimes, some of those folks are older than I am. They're the opposite gender than I am. Their expectations are different than mine. And so sometimes those conversations aren't always warm and fuzzy. And I've had a lot of practice, given that, trying to de-escalate situations, lean in, have the conversation, and ensure the other person that I want what's best for the situation as well. But there are some specifics here that we've got to abide to and that we've got to take into consideration before perhaps a decision can go their way. I think, Mm -hmm. you know, to that end, I think when you know the other person has good intentions and you know what their agenda is, it's easier to do that. I also have the opportunity to work with a lot of people now where I don't always know what their agenda is. And so that can create some challenge in these types of situations when you don't fully understand what the other person's agenda is, but that's where the curiosity comes in. And that's why you have to ask so many questions. And I've also learned that you just can't assume. You can't assume that you know the other person's intent. You have to really dig deep to find it. And then once you understand it, if it's not what you expected it to be, then great, lean in and do the work to build the relationship that you need to move whatever you're working on forward. And then there, there are some other situations where people just don't, you know, share the same value set that you do. And then you just have to lean back and take it for what it is. Say, okay. Yes. We we agree to disagree. (laughs) We agree to disagree. What's one of your most interesting projects or accomplishments that you've seen over the last how many years? But you're like, I'm proud of this. Yes. Well, if I were to just to look over the last five years in general, during my time here as chief of staff, I would say Overall, the culture in the organization has changed really dramatically since when both Mayor Tenhagen and I started. And that's for so many different reasons. But ultimately, we've just been able to build the right team of people. And those people have invested not only in themselves, but in our organization and its people in a way that since I first came to Sioux Falls and worked at the city in 2005, I have not seen. And so I think we're 
we're seeing the results of all of this hard work finally kind of coming to fruition, you know, after five and a half years back at the city. And I ideally, I believe that we're built, we are building a culture that can sustain the future years ahead. And it's not easy working for city government. Every eight years, you know for certain that you're going to have a new leader. And so building this culture, this one team, one Sioux Falls culture that can work together despite any obstacles in the future is really important to me. And I invest a lot of time in that area to try to help people how do you understand that? that. How do you how did you guys help build this culture? What mm-hmm. was it? Or some of the key things are like here's some of the main things that we started with. Because I think we all are interested in culture. Yep. We're all interested in having that 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 team that is geared towards the same goal and focused. What are some tools that you might suggest for us? Yeah, I Whether it's city government or it's the private sector, we still are going for that. You know, Mayor Tenhaken specifically has had a tremendous amount of experience in this arena. And I think in so many ways we have been scaling just because of the growth of the the community and the growth of our organization as a whole. And so culture is really no different in that sense. You have to take bite-sized chunks, right, and create a vision statement as an example. And then carry that vision statement forward and rally the troops, so to speak, around it. Everything that we do on a day-to-day basis is for this community, not just today, but tomorrow. And so that seems like a very simple thing to do, but the city of Sioux Falls didn't have that in place prior to 2018. And so, you know, we've we created a culture team where we brought in people from all across the organization and garnered their insights into did what that could look like. Did you have somebody who led or was it? We it, did. Okay. We did. And I think you had hired somebody to get yes. in and lead. You've had her on the podcast as well. Raina DeBoer Yes. now at Bolt Strategy. Okay. Raina was our chief culture officer okay. for a little over a year. And she just did a tremendous job in that role. She had 12 years of experience, I believe, prior to that at the city of Sioux Falls. And so she really understood our culture in a way that was different, I think, from... She'd been inside this. Yeah, she understood it. And so, you know, that position was key, ultimately building out our exec team, our team of directors to lead. Very important. And even more important than that was investing in them. And so I'm really intentional about investing in that team, whether it's getting the team together for you know, informal social activities outside of work so that we can actually build relationships or, you know, ultimately doing strategic planning work with them in a way that the city of Sioux Falls hasn't done before. All of that filters down throughout the entirety of the organization. And I've seen that organization when the exec team isn't healthy. And I that that was my first, you know, desire was to try to make sure that we were investing in them as individuals and as a team so that their teams felt that and it would trickle down ultimately through the organization. And that's what I mean by we're starting to see the results of that. Like I'm seeing that throughout some of our larger departments where these people are leading and you can tell that their people underneath of them feel the the maybe change in the leader or ultimately just how well that leader is doing because they feel like they're empowered and they are emboldened to do what they need to do. I think one thing you just said was that you were were starting to see the fruits of that labor now and that changing culture is not overnight. Were there some hard things that needed to happen in order to, you know, change culture? I'm sure there were hard, some hard conversations or potentially some people needed to come in, some people needed to go. 
And that's tough stuff to get to that point to decide. It is tough. And then add in the day-to-day operations of the city. Oh, yes. You and still have to do what you yes. You still have to keep yes. your city running. You still have to keep your business right. And the challenges, right, that come with that. And then ultimately, some of the experiences that we've specifically had over the last five years, yes. I, you know, the silver lining of our emergency operations center being stood up is that all of these people come together from across the organization, from all of our different departments, and they all work together to solve whatever crisis is in front of them, whether it's a pandemic, whether it's a riot, whether it's a flooding situation or tornadoes. They all do this and they just know inherently what to do. There have things over the last there five have been. Been. There have been. <laughs> but taking that model, right, where everyone comes together, they work together, and they're all there for the same mission and then being able to ultimately take that outside of the EOC and through the rest of the organization is also a tactic that you can use to, I think, strengthen culture. And so whether we've stated it or whether I've stated it specifically or not, that's the silver lining of those crisis situations is that model and being able to use a version of that model in our organization to solve other challenges is what I like to do. So it's clearly, I mean, just sense like the excitement. And I mean, our city is so lucky to have someone like you. I'm sure there's a lot of great members of your team and to have Mayor Paul as well and to have that passion. I just love, I mean, if people could see this passion that you have. So let me switch on you for just a moment. The things that you're doing with your team and culture and creating things, I'm going to bring that back to you. Mm -hmm. So what do you do for... Erica, to help make sure that you are sustained and whole and living your best version of your life Uh, outside of family, because I know they're very, very important to you. So I want to go a little deeper than that. And it's like, what what do you do for you? Mm -hmm. Great question. I've been working on this. It's taken me a while. Do you feel like you had to work on it because it's like, I'm so busy doing everything else? Or or why? Why is it taking you You a while? It's interesting. I... I was reflecting on this several months ago. I remember being in college up at SDSU and I had a professor and I loved her. She was great. But I specifically remember her saying, and we were in a history class, we were speaking about, it was it was something to do with women's history. And she brought up the fact that she did not believe that women had an opportunity to be successful at career, spouse, and as a parent altogether. Like you got to pick two of those three things. And I remember distinctly sitting in this class saying, like saying to myself, well, that's no, like I'm going to be successful on all three of those things. There's no way I'm not. There's no question. I'm not going to let any of those balls drop. And so I think for the longest time, that's what I've solely just been focused on. Right. Which meant that I had to put some of who I was off in order to focus on all three of those aspects of my life and to do them really well. So when I say, gosh, that's a great question. Who am I? You know, I've been doing some work over the last couple of years, whether it's with counseling to try to heal from some of the, the you know, situations that I've experienced over the last 45 years. But it's also to dive back into who I am and what's important to me and what makes me me. And so a, a couple of things. I love to travel. I love music. You know, I love to go to really kind of obscure places, you know, adventures, you know, with music specifically. My husband specifically loves to travel and he would travel all over the world with me. If I had the time or made the time to do that, 
I also love just kind of getting into devotionals and journaling and writing and all these types of things. I probably have for the last, I would say, five or six years, you know, I grew up going to church just as an example, but I didn't know that I, I didn't ever really experience God in the way that I needed to until I was probably, I'm going to say 34 or 35, a friend who actually has now passed away ended up taking us to her church and just said, gosh, you should come experience this. I think you'd really love it because we had always been kind of like church hoppers, so to speak. And we hadn't really found a home yet in the church. Anyway, we went and I just, the message was so moving that day and I it brought me to tears. And I just, since then, have felt a much different relationship with God. And so I try to nourish that as much as possible because I feel more centered. And when I'm leading up a place of center, I nourish you. Yes. 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 So that's very important to me that, you know, that's how I stay focused. And if I don't do that in the morning for myself, Mm -hmm. if I don't get up early and I don't invest time in the in the word and in devotional, I feel it throughout the day. Mm -hmm. I just don't feel um, centered like I'm prepared for the day and whatever is in front of me. So Mm -hmm. that's in large part how I spend a lot of my time as well. I love that. There's different forms of, of meditation in different ways. But whether that's for somebody working out or that's for doing yoga, whether that is spending time with God's mm-hmm. word, those are, and journaling, I think, is one of the most therapeutic things. Although so I do have concerns if somebody were ever to read my journal, not that they can actually read my handwriting anymore, but yeah. Yes, I used to write even more, including at work as well. But you quickly learn in these types of positions, at least that I'm in, that everything is discoverable from a legal perspective. And so I take very few (laughs) notes. The lessons you learn. The lessons you learn. So I take very few notes anymore as a result of those learning opportunities that I've had. That's an interesting thing for us to even, you know, leave our listeners with. Be careful what you write down. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. But it's all part of, you know, the experience and the journey that you're on and all these various things that you get yourself involved in. And especially for me, I have just such a breadth of opportunities and ways that I can get involved, even outside of just focusing on our people. The opportunity to continue to shape this community really excites me. And I could do a whole podcast on my vision for Sioux Falls in 2050, but that's for another day. I think that is for other day. I did think about asking you what your vision for Sioux Falls was. I'm like, we need another podcast for that. <laughs> so that's interesting you brought yeah. that up. But with that, Erica, I think our time has come to a close and I'm going to just say thank you so much for sharing a little bit about what drives you, your passions, both personally, professionally, that allow you to be, I think, a wonderful role model and leader for us as individuals, as well as us within this community. And I'm really happy to know there's someone like you within this city who is going for change, going for better, going for success and changing not just the outward things, but the inner workings of how how our city works. It's amazing too, again, setting that up for how we as business owners, we're all businesses in a little different way. So thank you so much for sharing with me today and some of your art is seen clearly. Thank you so much. Appreciate your time. Thank you.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.